Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So we're really excited to be popping into your podcast feed unannounced or only only recently announced because we mentioned it on Tuesday. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) We're always uninvited, but here we are. Um, And we have a special episode here today for you. We're looking ahead to summer today. We're talking about uh, stretching our kids' wings, um, getting kids ready for some increased independence in the summer, which is a topic that is fraught for a lot of moms. And it's weird to be talking about it in kind of early March or mid-March by the time you're hearing this, but this is the time when decisions about summer are being made. And that is like, that's even extra fraught because if you have like a five-year-old four months of their life is like a big chunk of their life. So to know whether they're going to be ready for that, like all day zoo camp or whatever in July is like very daunting. So there's a lot to unpack here. There isn't, and whether they'll be ready or whether they'll even have any interest anymore. (laughs) So I know in my family, I've been very guilty of, you know, like uh, glomming onto a current interest and getting all excited and then being like, I'm signing you up for this and this. And then three or four months later, the kid is like, what? I've moved on or no, I absolutely am not interested in that thing. I thought I was so very fraught, very fraught. It is very fraught. And then of course, COVID has thrown a bit of a wrench in all this Uh, for a lot of families. It's kind of delayed or deferred or muted some natural opportunities that summer brings for kids to increase their independence. I mean, summer is is a different for a lot of families, unless you're year round school or homeschool or have some different situation. Summer often brings opportunities for kids to try something new or to level up their independence in some way. And we're talking everything from preschoolers all the way up to like you know, teenagers who maybe are headed off on some big adventure, but no matter the age of your kid, COVID probably affected some of those natural opportunities. So you might be feeling like now I've got a seven-year-old who's never been away from home for longer than a a few hours or whatever, whatever the case may be. I think a lot of parents are feeling like 
they're maybe playing catch up with summer independence. Yeah, that's true. But I also think that summer is still a great time for this because it, it's kind of low stakes in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you're not, for example, as long as like the string of day camps you've set up isn't the only childcare you have, you could usually bail or it's like short lived. So it's like a camp theme that's just one week. Yes. It's not committing to like a whole season or a whole semester when you're dealing with older kids, like who are, you know, if they're going to do an extracurricular or something, it maybe is going to be months and months long. Yeah. So it's, it feels like little micro opportunities. Um, and it can be things like, like as kids get older, playing in the unfenced front yard rather than the fenced backyard or be able to walk to the park on their own as they get bigger or things like that, that like can slowly start to happen sometimes with groups of other kids, sometimes like partly with you, but you're kind of like, like uh, remotely down, you know, just like a little further away than you might've been when they were really tiny. So there's all these little opportunities, but you're right, Sarah, that a lot of kids haven't had any opportunities really over the last couple of years to dip their toe in. So it's going to be like a bunch of, you know, eight-year-olds out there doing things that six-year-olds might have once been doing or vice versa, you know, like, or like five-year-olds who are doing what three-year-olds might've once done. And that's going to definitely, I think, make your kids maybe not line up with where you thought they'd be developmentally by now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a reminder too, that when we're taught, we're kind of putting this all under the umbrella of stretching kids ability to be independent in the summer. And I just, can I say that having three kids, the different ways they need to be stretched in their independence is so vastly different. So it might sound like we're talking about like sleepaway camp or uh, separating from mom. Those are, those are two examples of independence, but I have one kid who has just debilitating stage fright. So anything for her where she has to talk in front of a group of people or have the spotlight on her is really, really difficult for that kid. Stretching, stretching herself might look like practicing a little bit in that discomfort rather than like some physical adventuring, like another kid of mine might need to stretch their independence with, you know, being physically brave and courageous. So we're like, we're kind of lumping it all under one umbrella, but just a reminder that both as adults and as kids, there are some things that come naturally to us that we feel really confident in. And there are other ways that we maybe have opportunities to be stretched. Um, And then just a final note that we often these conversations center around neurotypical kids and kids without complicating medical factors going on. But just good to acknowledge that if that is your situation, the stakes can feel even higher. If you've got other stuff going on with your kid that makes even just dropping them off at a half day day camp really complicated and really fraught and really emotional. So just we, we understand that that is a lot of families reality too. So today we're going to share some stories from our experience um, that are all around this idea of nudging kids gently toward greater independence, Um, especially those opportunities that tend to come up in the summertime. But obviously it's not exclusive to summertime because these opportunities exist year round. And then how to do that while we're also dealing with our anxiety or worries, our kids' anxieties and worries, and just not really knowing exactly how it's all going to turn out. Yeah, this is going to be really great. I'm excited. Me too. But before we begin, we want to introduce you to the sponsor of this episode, Be Aware Allergy. Sarah, I know we've both had different times during our motherhood journeys when we turn to research and education as a way to calm our anxieties. And so often just having access to the real facts and information helps us feel better about all those what ifs that can come with having kids. Be Aware is bringing that awareness to the topic of bee sting allergies. Now, fortunately, none of our kids have bee sting allergies that we know of, 
but they're more common than we realized. 16 million Americans are living with a potentially life-threatening bee sting allergy. Yeah, Megan, that is so many more than I realized. But Be Aware's goal is to get it on our radar so that we can be prepared, which, as you know, is one of the ways I tend to make myself more comfortable with change. So most of us are probably familiar with the common bee sting reactions like burning, a little bit of swelling, a small welt. And then, of course, if you've had a child stung by a bee like I have, we want to add screaming and crying to that list. (laughs) But symptoms like itchy or watery eyes, a runny nose, a rash, significant swelling, hives or dizziness, these are all signs to take things more seriously. And on top of that, bee sting reactions can actually get worse each time. So just because you're relieved when there's a mild reaction the first time, that doesn't mean you can let your guard down. The reaction itself can be a clue for what might happen next time. For example, I didn't know this, but hives increase your risk of your next bee sting being worse by up to 40%. Yeah, I didn't either. Well, Be Aware's message is that you shouldn't wait for an emergency. You can prevent it. And contacting an allergist is one of the first steps towards prevention. Go to Be Aware Allergy, that's B-E-E awareallergy.com and click find a provider to use their allergist locator tool. They can help you find a provider who can talk you through your options for allergy testing and treatment. So today's episode is all about the tools you can use to get your family ready for a fun and safe summer. And it's normal to feel nervous about summer planning when you have a child with a bee sting allergy or you suspect you might but haven't been able to confirm it yet. The last thing anyone wants is having their summer plans disrupted by a medical emergency. So we're proud to partner with Be Aware Allergy to help you feel more prepared and able to prevent a scary situation. Again, go to BeAwareAllergy.com, and that's B-E-E, AwareAllergy.com, and click Find a Provider to find an allergist who can help. And keep listening, because we'll talk a little bit more about Be Aware later in the show. Okay, Megan, let's get in our time machines that we often (laughs) reference, and let's just each share an example or two of letting our kids experience some summer independence that pushed them and us out of our comfort zones. So to start, I want you to just share the scenario and what the feelings were around it, yours and the kids. And then later we'll circle back to actually talk about how these things played out. Okay. Um, I just want to say, say like in general, when I look back at the amalgam experience of parenting small children, because my experiences that I'm going to share are a little bit more older kid focused. Um, and by older, I mean like six and up probably yeah. for the most part. But when my kids were little, I feel like the entire experience was them not wanting to do anything (laughs) that like took them outside of my little, like my comfort zone. And then the cousin bubble that I built around them. Right. So that was like that. They kind of got to practice it, but they didn't really get to take many steps out. And I feel like the theme was mom, not interested. So just saying from the time that they were babies until they were like six and up, um, it was just not really on our radar because they were so disinterested in most of those experiences. So one that pops into my head was a um, summer theater camp through the parks department when we lived in Chicago. And so we only lived in Chicago for a little over a year. So it was Jake and Isaac. They would have been, I don't know, like eight and 10, maybe something like that. Maybe not even that old, maybe seven and nine. And it was a summer camp. Um, And I remember it was like hundreds of kids And they had, it was very low cost, but I remember being really like excited, but also nervous about it because it seemed like such a city thing to do. Like it just seemed like, oh, I'm taking my kids to this like city park camp and it's going to be like Broadway. And the boys, I think, felt a lot of pressure and really just weren't very interested at all in going. They didn't want to be away from home all day. They didn't want to deal with kids they didn't know. Mm -hmm. 
Um, they didn't want to like have to pack a lunch. Like they were just yeah. very used to their kind of comfy yeah. existence at home. And they really weren't that interested in, in branching out. Yeah, that makes sense. And then to add the theater element too is like, right. That's a little maybe outside of, it's different than what you do like on the playground at recess or whatever. It's a different exactly. thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, one that came to mind for me was the summer that Reed was entering kindergarten, but he had not been yet. Nope. He was entering first grade. But he stayed at his Montessori for kindergarten. So it was the summer before he entered like the big elementary school, the bigger one. And he's young for his grade. He has a June birthday. So I think he was newly six and really little. And he was with a group of six and seven year olds. So he was the littlest. And it was just a day camp at our like Marine um, for Orange County people. It's the one in Dana Point. It's like a Marine learning center. And it was right up his alley because he loves the ocean. and He loves to learn. But the reason I felt really nervous about it is he had only been in a small Montessori environment. He had done a lot of half days and a lot of like very, it's like more like preschool. He had never had that full five days, full day. And these days were like, I want to say it was nine to four. It was like a long day with multiple snack breaks and a lunch. And I remember thinking, is this crazy to do this the summer before he starts real school? Like he has never even been to real school. And this is longer than a school day. And he was one of the youngest and one of the littlest. So I just remember a lot of like second guessing myself. Like, I think he's going to mm. like the content, but I have no idea how he's going to do with this length of day and this kind of right. like the re- independence required to kind of advocate for yourself in a group of kids you don't know. So, yeah. 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 The next one in my, that I'm coming up with was a much older kid, but a much more dramatic experience. So when Isaac was, I believe, 16 or maybe 17. I can't remember if it was between his sophomore and junior year of high school or between junior and, um, and senior year of high school, but he went to Thailand with a friend for three weeks. His friend's dad had, um, went there pretty often or goes there like every summer for business or maybe is there part of the year every year. And and so this was his best friend and they both went to Thailand, um, with the, and yeah, so flew over on their own. He'd never been on a Well, he'd been on a plane to like Florida, but like he'd never really gone on even a trip of any real distance like that. And he basically went with this other kid. Um, I had all kinds of feelings about that, but I think we both felt really ready for it. But how are you ever really ready to send your kid to Thailand? Literally the other side of the world. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like no matter how ready he was and how ready and how excited I was for him, there was really no doing that without feeling some feels about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, another one that came up for me was actually not in the summer, but it was recently and Violet had her first sleepover at a friend's house. And the, the quick background is our family has not done very many friend sleepovers ever, even before COVID because we don't have cousins and we don't have the kind of friends where I just know the families really well. Um, so it's never presented itself. I've always been able to say like, yeah, we don't really do sleepovers. We do lateovers. And I've kind of gotten away with that because we've, I've never felt comfortable enough. Like, oh, we just know this family so well. Um, and then COVID happened and that shut down a lot. So Violet, it was so excited. And I bring that up because there's all kinds of emotions when kids want to be more independent. Sometimes they don't want to, sometimes they do, sometimes they do. And then they chicken out, which is often Violet's MO. So I mean, she must have packed and planned for this for like two weeks with her little friend who lives right around the corner. We know the family really well. We're on the same page about COVID stuff. Like it just, all the boxes were ticked. 
And as, as the night approached or as like the day before approached, I could tell she was doing a little bit of backpedaling. Like mommy, can you ask where we're going to sleep? Mommy, can you ask what we're going to eat for breakfast? Mommy, can you ask? And we'll get into this later, but like, it's one thing as we'll talk about to prepare a kid to know what to expect, but I can spot from a mile away when one of my kids is like, doing that obsessive question asking. Mm. Um, and so anyway, I'll reveal later how it went, but that was one where she felt really ready. I felt ready and comfortable. And as it approached, we were like, I don't know if this is actually going to happen. So, yeah. Well, one that's kind of along those lines that comes to mind for, for me and my last one is Clara went to summer camp last year and I'll talk a little bit more about this later in the show, but Clara of all of my kids was probably the least interested in any kind of um, separation, yeah. like for the longest uh, uninterested lo- in being of time, separated from you, uninterested <laughs> for the longest amount of time, even in situations which objectively should have been more fun for her, like cousin sleepovers and things like that, like where it was practically our house, things like that. Like she really just just wasn't particularly interested. She's kind of a homebody. And so she has wanted to go to summer camp in theory. But every year I'm like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like she's going to bail. And this last year I thought she wants it so much. And she's at that, she's like at that age where she's just turned 12. Like this is the time. Right. And so, um, I did sign her up and then she went into obsessive question asking uh, question asking and kind of was trying to get out of it told like the last day, like saying she didn't really want to go then saying she did then saying she didn't like she was all over the place. And she did go with some strong encouragement for me, AKA I put her in the car and drove her there. <laughs> um, I think, honestly, I think she would have bailed up to the last minute if I'd give her, uh, given her any kind of out. So sometimes like, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, coming up here, but you know, sometimes like they're on that fence mm-hmm. right up until the last minute. And it's really mom that kind of has to kick them over. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. So so when you're in that situation, Sarah, and you're, you're just not sure if your kid is ready or, you know, if they want to be ready or if you're ready for them to be ready or whatever it is, what helps you make that decision? Yeah. I think you bring up a really good point because especially as our kids are younger, it is often the parents kind of deciding, like if you ask a four-year-old whether or not they want to go to day camp, they, they may not, they may have an opinion, but you may be the decider. And so it is important to think like what what do I need to feel comfortable in this decision, even if my kid is going to go kicking and screaming? And they might. Um, so for me, a big one is if I have trust in like the grownups or the organization or the system or the camp, whatever, whatever the overarching structure is, if I have a general trust and a good feeling about that, then I'm much, it's much easier for me to follow through and nudge a kid towards something that's a little uncomfortable for them. I have bailed before if I didn't get a good vibe. I've I've bailed on a gym daycare situation and I have looked into camps and thought, hey, I just don't have a good vibe about this. And then then I'm not going to be comfortable pushing my kid. Does that make sense? Because it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to to drop your kid off somewhere and say, nope, this is what you're going to do this week. It's going to be hard and I know you can do it and I love you. That's hard to do, but that's really hard for me to do if I don't actually have a good sense of trust for the grownups in charge. So that would be number one is is making sure I trust the grownups or the system or the camp or whatever it is. Um, another one I ask myself is if the end justifies the means. And, and what I mean by that is, again, if we're going to put up with a little bit of 
discomfort on our kids' part or a lot of discomfort. I'm th- swim lessons come to mind, for example. Um, mm. I want to know that the reason I'm doing this thing justifies that discomfort. And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's like, oh, I really wanted my kid to have this experience, but actually I'm okay if we waited a year or two. So yeah. it's actually not worth it. It's not worth it for me to go through the crying of swim lessons, for example, because we, we don't really need to do that this summer. We can do that next summer. And sometimes I've made that decision and sometimes I've stuck with it. And sometimes I'm like, nope, I need, I need this kid to be safe in the water or I need the childcare or I need whatever it is, the benefits outweigh the costs. And sometimes I just have to get really clear with myself before entering into a situation where, you know, the kid and I are going to be uncomfortable stretching our wings but I know it's worth it because X, Y, Z. And it's not the same answer every time. And then you, you alluded to like summer being a time where you can often bail without too many financial repercussions or whatever. And I think that's true. So knowing the exit plan, if this does not pan out or like if Violet sleepover, if like, if this was a terrible idea and I got a call in the middle of the night, like what is the exit plan? That always helps me because often it's simpler than you think. Like, did you lose a $50 deposit? Maybe, but is that like, is that kind of okay? Probably. So I think um, thinking through like, what would it look like if we bailed is helpful to me because then, then I can know like, okay, we're going to give this a try, but there is an exit plan. So those are the things that um, help me. I don't know if anything came up for you. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is when it is one of those, perhaps mom or kid have very different opinions about whether kid is interested or not interested, but ready. Yeah. Um, which for a kid who's not interested, that can feel an awful lot like them not being ready. Even if you kind of know as mom that they are. Yeah. Um, and so I guess for me, often it would, the question would be who wants it more mm-hmm. <laughs> like who wants their, their outcome the most. Mm-hmm. Because that would sometimes give me a clue. Like if there was a kid who just didn't really want to do something, but like, they could kind of be convinced with maybe ice cream after practice or whatever it is, then that tells me they're not truly terrified. They're not, this is like a discomfort thing, but something that they can be pretty easily, we can work around it. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I, on the other hand, really want them to do this thing, because it's really important for the reason, like the ends justifying the means, like, you know, you mentioned swimming or a million other things. Like, I just think this would be a really cool experience that they'll be glad they did or could lead to other things that they don't even have it on their radar yet, um, then I would intervene and like be more likely to force it. Whereas if I don't care that much and they don't care that much, or you know what I mean? Like I'm not, if I don't care that much and they seem really not interested in doing it or really timid and afraid about it, afraid of it, I probably am not going to push it. Yes. Um, sometimes though, I will say, I wonder sometimes if that backfired a little bit. And I'm glad you brought up the swim lessons because I'm thinking of when Clara was four, she took swim lessons with a really overbearing teacher and it went terribly. Like Mm -hmm. she was crying. The teacher was trying to like, tell me that she didn't need to be crying because nothing scary had happened. And she didn't know why Clara was crying, like kind of tried to get between us. Yeah. And it made me really mad. And I was like, we're okay here. Like, please get like, I nicely told her to get out of my face. Yeah. Um, and, and Clara's face. And then Clara was so traumatized that I just pulled her and was like, okay, we're not doing this. And then I decided, well, we'll try again next year. The problem is it's that falling off a horse and not getting back on right away Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. She then was convinced that water was scary. And it wasn't just that she and this teacher had a bad, like a 
bad interaction. So now I think, well, what would have been something we could have done differently? Would have there been like, could I have shown her I took it seriously by pulling her out of that class, but still done something in the water with her that was more positive, yeah, like yeah. soon after? Because the result was she really wasn't, didn't want to get in a pool for two years. Yeah. Now, is that the end of the world? No. No, she's fine. No, it's not. She's she fine. Out okay. She can swim great now yeah. and she loves pools. So it's not like I made the wrong decision. But I do think looking back, like, oh, was there maybe an option C that I didn't yeah. even think of? Because I thought it's either A, she stays in this class or B, she doesn't swim for a year. Yeah. Maybe there was like option C, D and E and I just didn't take the time to think about them. So again, not a big deal. It worked out fine. But, you know, yeah, I feel like I could do like half an episode on swim lessons because I've had I have put crying kids in swim lessons with various degrees of success. And I've seen teachers handle it so well that I know I know it can be done well and your in your situation it sounds like it was not handled well but it's like a whole yeah it's a whole thing. Um it's a thing. It's a whole thing. So let's talk about sorting out the difference between when our kid feels nervous or clingy or not ready for something versus when we have our own worries about whether we're ready to let them spread their wings. And you have the most kids between us. So with five <laughs> kids have you kind of experienced both sides of this? Has it been some kids are super bold and you're more worried for them and with others it's vice versa? Or have you really kind of experienced like every, every combination? Well, it's interesting earlier that you mentioned, this might've been like way at the beginning of the episode, how there's a difference between certain things that are scary. So um, like social situations or sleepovers or public, you know, getting up on a stage is yeah. very different than physical fear rock of like climbing, running. Yeah. yeah. Rock climbing, things like that. So I think for myself, what I've realized that's been hard for me is to recognize fears. I don't personally experience. Mm. Um, I'm not personally afraid of like speaking in front of a crowd. I never have been. I'm not personally afraid of staying in strange places. Never have been. Maybe when I was really, really little, I probably didn't want to be separated from my mom, but I don't remember that being like a thing for me when I was little. I was always very eager to stay anywhere. Like I always want looking for that experience. Whereas I kind of had to be coaxed into things like climbing trees and things like that when I was really little. Things that felt physically risky yeah. were much. So I'm, I, I tend to be a little more understanding when kids are physically timid yeah. or not ready than when they just don't want to do something because it kind of makes them anxious. Like that low level anxiety isn't something... I identify with as readily. So um, it's not so much that I'm not wor that I'm worried that they're not ready. It's more like I'm more likely to hear them when the thing they're afraid of is something that I, I mean, I, this Matches we could probably, yeah. yeah, we can relate this to almost anything in parenting, right? You're yeah. more likely to get it when it's something you've experienced. One that makes that I think of is, um, Clara not wanting to do sleepovers for years and years and years at my brother's house. And, you know, he never lived more than like a half a mile from me. Yeah. She had two, like two girl cousins and she's right in the middle. Um, she played there happily all the time, but we'd be, you know, we'd be winding down the night and I'd be getting ready to go home thinking to myself, I would just really love to not have to put her to bed tonight. Yeah. And this is going to be like, kind of getting off the hook for that. Yeah. I could just go home. And I remember thinking I could just go home and roll right into bed. Like I don't need to do anything really. That would be amazing. And at the time when she was three, four, five, six, seven years old, that was the only childcare I really had reliably. 
And at the last minute, she would always bail. Yeah. And later, it kind of she kind of explained it one time that my brother has a loud voice and she didn't like to hear his loud voice in the house oh. when she like he would just kind of like I have a loud voice, too. And so does her dad. But in particular, my brother's loud voice stresses her out. <laughs> and it's not like he's yelling and screaming at the kids. He's just kind of booming. Like he's like yeah. walking around the house with this booming voice and it stressed her out and she didn't want to wake up to it in the morning. So that's why she didn't want to do the sleepover for years, for like four or five yeah. years. She just didn't want to most of the time. And so, okay, like it was frustrating. And I remember being like, really? And sometimes I'd say, you just got to stay tonight because yeah. it's late. And I just, by the time I get home, I'm done. Like This is where the bed is. This is where the bed, you're already in your pajamas. You're already in bed. You're like teeth are brushed. You guys are watching a movie. You're just going to stay here. Yeah. I'm not going to take you out to a cold car now. Yeah. And like now get home and have to deal with doing this whole thing again. Like yeah. we, we're already here. So again, it came down to who wanted it more. Um, and maybe one out of every seven times that was me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if that answers your question, but yes, like I have experienced both sides of it and had to kind of figure out how to work through both sides. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think as my kids have gotten older, some are naturally confident in areas, so confident in areas that it actually puts it back on me to think like, oh my gosh, am I ready for this? Like, is this okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, with a teenager, like going out, coming out of the intense part of the pandemic and getting to like the stage where we drop kids off downtown for a few hours, it, it was a big wake up call of like, it almost felt like I had to brush up on things potentially to worry about. It wasn't that I was yeah. worried, but it was like, oh, wait, we haven't done this before. Have we talked about like being approached by strangers? Have we talked about like, you know, sticking together in groups? And it was, I'm sure other parents can relate with, with the pandemic of like, it's not exactly that I'm worried, but I do find myself wondering like, okay, my kid's not worried. My kid is ready to go do this thing. Have I done the parenting required? Right. Like, am I? Yeah. Yeah. Like to send them off safely. And I think, I don't know, like probably never, right. We've never probably covered it all, but hopefully there's a good head on their shoulders and off they go, I guess. So, well, and again, to your point about sometimes we just don't get it right. When Clara did start doing, um, sleepovers, like was when she did start getting comfortable with it. And then when she had, uh, an invitation to that sleepover that went all kinds of awry oh, right. that I talked about where she mm-hmm. got into trouble with her friends last year. It was like, oh, oh, she wants to go. Oh, and also she hasn't been able to do this because of pandemic times. Like yeah. she was didn't go to school in person for a really long time. She didn't make friends her whole first year of middle school. And now she's got this experience that she gets to have. And yes, I'm going to let her do it. I kind of jumped ahead of the part where I thought about really getting to know the the kids involved yeah. or their parents or their group dynamics, because yeah. like, I kind of got excited that she was going to get to have this thing. So like, I didn't do the adulting probably that needed to happen yeah. on her behalf because she was reacting out of like FOMO and social pressure and things like that. I don't think she really wanted to go. I think she went because she felt like it would be bad for her, you know, social life if yeah. she didn't go. And we all remember that yeah. in middle school, right? Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to be the girl who doesn't make it to the sleepover in middle school. That's for darn sure. So, um, yeah, I, but again, this is not science, right? Like we're not going to get it right every time. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sarah. So then what do you think are some skills or tools that we can give our kids so that they feel prepared heading into that situation that requires that independence? Because sometimes the situation might be scary up front 
or sometimes they might get themselves a little over their head. Right. Like they're not worried. <laughs> right. They're not worried at the outset, but then they get into it and they're like, oh, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I like to prepare and I like to plan and I like to help my kids prepare for things. So this is this question's right in my wheelhouse. But as I was thinking about it, ideally, I think I'm always trying to give my kids skills and life skills that will help them in any situation rather than like over prepare them for this one sleepover or this specific yeah. like um, time when they're going to get to go run around the mall with their friend by themselves. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah, because that can create stress anyway, too. Like if, if you're over preparing them, then they're like, why is my mom giving me so many details? I guess I better be really on high alert. I think it really can. And I think I have actually made this mistake. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting to correct my own tendencies, but rather than like over prepare them, like, okay, here's the camp schedule every day this week. Here's what you're supposed to do. If you don't like the lunch and here's where the bathroom is. And you're right. That's totally overwhelming for a kid. And so I have had to learn to back up and make sure my kids have some really basic skills, like identifying the grownups who can help you. That is a skill that helps whether you're four and at a camp for the first time or Isaac in Thailand, like who are the grownups who can help me at any, in any given situation, knowing how to ask for that help, like knowing what your needs are and how to communicate them. Um, so I think those are the skills I've tried to give my kids in general so that whatever comes yeah. up, they get invited to a sleepover last minute. They get invited to go, you know, to a movie by themselves and there's no grownups. Now we like have those fundamental skills. So that's one. I want to interject on that really quick, because I think this is also one that, um, that evolves a lot as kids get older. Um, I'm thinking of Clara, for example. Yes. I was not going to go in and say, Clara, when you go to this sleepover, here's what you do. If a girl gets out her brother's vape and they all start vaping, or if someone decides you should leave the party and like walk a mile down a County highway, like I don't, I, it never would have occurred to me that either for example would ever happen. And Clara would have been like, mom, you've lost your mind. Right. Of course, those things wouldn't happen if I had said that. And, and in that situation, because of the social pressure, I don't know that she would have asked for help. Like, like, I don't know that there would have been a grown up she could have gone to and felt really yeah. good about asking yeah. for help. So as those social situations become a little more complicated as kids get older, it's like you almost need on top of that, like a sneaky code or like a yeah, some kind of a way to get them out. Like they need an out yes. that they can totally have without and totally save face. Yep. And Theoretically, Clara knew she could contact me at any time. She had her phone and I said, text me at any time. If you need a ride, just don't feel like being there anymore. But I think what she didn't have is explicit permission for me to like that. I would take the, I would do the heavy lifting of getting her off the hook. Right. Like we didn't You'd have that quite worked base. out. Yeah. Right. Cause at 12, I just didn't think she was there yet, but yeah. I think they get there faster now than maybe we think they do. Yeah. So I just wanted to interject and say that there's like an additional piece that happens as they get more into the adolescent yeah. time frame. Well, yeah, you're right. It's really just an, an additional layering of those skills of how to extricate yourself from an uncomfortable situation, how to how to pretend like you're vaping when you're really not. I'm totally kidding. I was just going to say how to lie. I was actually like, yeah. like how to when it's a, it's a matter of safety or, you know, personal ethics, whatever, how to short term, get yourself out of a situation with a story because that's so different than a skill of an eight-year-old, for example. Yeah. Yeah. My mom just texted. She said, I have to come home. Exactly. Like that, you know, she wouldn't, I don't think it would have occurred to her to do that. And it didn't occur to me she needed it yet, but I will definitely be prepared 
with that strategy from now on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I was going to add in terms of like actually tools or skills we can give our kids when we are talking about summer and specifically like camps and things where they might be going away into a new situation. I have found that it's really helpful to involve and include kids from the very beginning because as moms, we can get into that checklist mode where we've got like, okay, here's the packing list or here's the list of things they need. And then we go do it all. And pretty soon you're sending a kid off to a place they've never been in shoes they've never worn with a water bottle they don't even know is theirs because like mom, (laughs) mom went and did all this stuff. And we're really in a way it's like not setting them up for the greatest success because they haven't been involved in the preparation. And I'm, I'm making a joke about the water bottle and stuff. But if they don't know, if they've never seen this lunchbox or this water bottle before, and now they're by themselves and they've got to be the one to get it out of the bin at lunchtime, we haven't really served them at all. So I think even getting small kids really familiar with the physical stuff that they're going to be carrying and wearing can be really, really helpful. And with some kids, and I know we touched on like, like neurotypical kids versus kids who are dealing with some, some kind of like extra circumstance. I think that practice and that familiarity is even more important, but even for neurotypical kids, I think it can be really, really helpful because they don't need another thing that's unfamiliar when they're, when they're shipped off to this new adventure. Sarah, I think that my, I have just had an epiphany thanks to you. And this is why new stuff gets lost. And this is why I will find myself having this conversation with my kids and being like, but I just bought you that. What do you mean it's lost? And while they're, you know, the water bottle is a great example. I've bought my kids really nice water bottles that go missing, but then someone's carrying around this cheap, like free one they got from some, I don't know, relay race or something at school. That's got the bank logo on it. And I'm like, why did you lose the good one? But it's because they weren't familiar with it. They weren't used to it. Um, I have personally lost three brand new expensive rain jackets, three brand new (laughs) expensive rain jackets because you don't wear a rain jacket very often. Uh And when I wear it, it's usually warm enough that as soon as the rain stops, I don't need it. So then I leave it places. So thrice I have done that and been like, why do I keep losing rain jackets? What is the common thread here? It's new. I'm not used to it. I don't need it the whole time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not part of my system yet. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to develop it. So no wonder little kids lose their, you know, new lunch boxes and their new coats and their new boots and their new water bottles and hang on to ratty old crap that we don't even care about anymore. It's so true. And I think, I think you can do this even with three and four year olds, like, Hey, come over here. Like, I want you to put this lunchbox in the backpack so you can see how the zipper works. And like, I want, you know, show me how you open up this water bottle when you're thirsty and show me how you unbuckle these new shoes. And Um, I think we've gotten so much good advice about like starting kindergarten that's that way. But I think the same is true because it's going to be scary enough for you and for the kid to do these independent adventures. You don't need to be hampered by the gear when when that's within relatively within your control to practice at home. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Megan, this conversation about getting our kids ready to send off in the world just reminds me how vulnerable they can seem, especially those little ones. And it really is an act of courage for moms and for kids when we send them out into the world. It really is. And we mentioned planning earlier. And I think that just doing whatever we can to be prepared is a great way to calm our nerves, which is why we both thought this episode would be such a perfect opportunity to partner with Be Aware Allergy. Be Aware recommends creating a medical plan for the summer that includes what to do if your child gets stung by a bee. 
Well, this sounds like a no-brainer, Megan, but it can make a life or death difference. 220,000 ER visits and 60 deaths per year are directly related to severe bee sting reactions. If your child is going to camp this summer, then find out if that camp has special requirements for kids with allergies. Ask about their emergency plan and how their epinephrine is stocked and stored. If your child is allergic to bees and carries an epinephrine pen, it's so important that they not only do carry it all the time, but also that the whole family has been trained on how to use it. More than two-thirds of all allergy patients forget to carry their epinephrine regularly, and more than half aren't sure how to use it correctly. Wow. Well, another way to prepare is by looking into venom immunotherapy. I wasn't familiar with venom immunotherapy before, but it's really fascinating. Venom immunotherapy is a treatment where you get a series of allergy shots that contains small doses of insect venom. It's up to 98% effective at preventing those severe allergic reactions we were talking about earlier. A medical provider can run some tests and help figure out if this could be a good treatment option for you. Yeah, that's incredible. And I can see how that would be so reassuring to moms who might not even know that treatment is an option for their kids with bee sting allergies. Check out Be Aware's website, which is beawareallergy.com, and that's B-E-E-awareallergy.com for more resources about bee stings and go to beawareallergy.com and click find a provider to find an allergist who can help. Okay, well, let's return to where we started and talk through those stories we shared um, more toward the beginning of the episode and talk about how it went. Did we survive? (laughs) So I'll go first. Um, The boys' summer theater camp um, in Chicago was a total disaster. They did a production. I am putting production in like (laughs) the biggest air quotes possible of the musical Newsies, which I mean, I give it one half star. (laughs) Isaac bailed early. Like he only made it to two days of camp oh. of three weeks. Oh, but uh, guess what? They're all alive. They made it. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> and they still like theater, I guess. I don't, they don't do it, but they like watching it. <laughs> Sometimes we learn from often we learn from the failures, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So Reed and the very long day camp that was very far, not very far from home, but big and long for a very new six year old went mostly fine. All the things I was worried about, like the long days and him being tired and being the youngest were totally fine. He did great. And it was actually good preparation for, um, the first grade, like entering the first grade. I will say on the last day of camp in the afternoon, he, in a fluke, um, recess related incident, he broke his arm. So it's not that it ended perfectly. Um, that was our first broken bone in our family. It was not due to any negligence. It could have happened in my own backyard. And that's the thing about these things, right? Like we're trying to protect for all these eventualities, but honestly, our kids get hurt and injured and disappointed and left out right under our own nose sometimes too. So yeah, he uh, ended that camp with a broken arm, but I'm not going to say it, um, that it was a regret. It's a rite of passage, like broken bones and those things that happen. Exactly. Um, Isaac came back from Thailand with a completely like expanded view on life. Um, I'm really glad I didn't know certain things beforehand. Like I'm really glad I didn't know that he would be paying like $3 for massages in (laughs) massage parlors because I guess I just didn't occur. That didn't occur to me. He did that many times. I guess the dollar goes pretty far there. I'm glad I didn't know that he would be driving like a little, like a little scooter all over the mountains. Um, like there's just a lot of things. I'm just glad I didn't know ahead of time that it would never have occurred to me to ask ahead of time that I got to hear about when it was all over, but I think it was life-changing for him in the best possible way. And here he is, here he is back in the United States and, um, and better for it. I love that. Well, um, I know you're all on pins and needles. Violet did 
go for her sleepover. It was very touch and go. As it got closer, she was really... So they were... This is like a sidebar, but it's important. They were going to go swimming first because it was in the afternoon. It was really warm. And they were going to go to their pool. This other family was going to go to their like community pool and swim first. And she, for some reason, got so amped up about that. I think because she was so focused on the sleepover part, like the part where they, you know, watch a movie with popcorn and get their pillows and their stuffed animals that it didn't fit with her imagined fun of a sleepover, but she loves to swim. Like she, she's fine in the water. She's not anxious about swimming. And it was almost a deal breaker. I kid you not. She was almost not wanting to go for, to the whole sleepover because the swimming part at the beginning didn't match with what she imagined. And the way we handled it was I said, OK, we're going to do like you like we do at bedtime when you are feeling anxious. I'm going to text the mom. I'm going to text Amy after half an hour and see if you want to come home. And then I will text her after it's been an hour and I will see if you want to come home. And at every benchmark, you can say, I want to go home. I knew she wasn't going to want to come home, but it was like giving her permission that like, you don't have to get through the next 18 hours or 24 hours. You just have to get through the next half an hour and then the next hour. And each time you'll be opting in, like, do I want to go home or do I want to stay? Of course she wanted to stay. I did not hear from them all afternoon. I checked in in the evening. I mean, I did check in when I said I was going to And she had a blast and she was tired the next day. That's the nature of sleepovers. But um, it was for her. It was the the anticipation. And I know you're going to talk about Clara, but probably similar. It was that lead up was very anxious. And then the thing itself was totally fine. Yeah, well, that was very similar to our experience. So, you know, Clara, right up until it was about a half hour drive to camp. And she was texting with Jacob, who had gone to the same camp at her age, like right up until we pulled up they were texting back and forth and she was asking him to tell her all the tips. And like, it was a really cute exchange. And he was giving her like, like where to, where to swim in the lake to stay away from like the minnows. Like it was like all the things. Right. And like, I don't know how to handle the lunchtime and all that stuff. And so I think at any moment, if I had said, Claire, let's turn this car around and go home. She would have been like, thank you. Yeah. But she bravely took off and and got, you know, went off and into her cabin. And when I picked her up, um, Five or six days later, the first words were, that was epic, which turns out is good. And I guess like the last night they have this big dance party and she like went crazy on the dance floor and there was like a circle of people clapping around her. And I mean, she was just glowing. Like she was on, I mean, just on a cloud for the whole rest of the week. So I was just so happy. It was like a big thing for her. She's, she's always had really good friends and like, she's got a really good little social group that she um, is really comfortable with. But for her to kind of go into something brand new, she really didn't know anybody and then sort of own it for herself was huge. And I think it was like transformative for her. So I'm not, I'm not sorry that I waited because I I don't know that she would have gotten the same benefit necessarily from a sleepaway camp before she went. But um, I'm really glad I did kind of push her a little bit. Well, and it's a good reminder that the, the anxious, like the ones who play things out ahead of time and are anxious in the way that Violet and Clara are the, the, one of the best ways to like get evidence that it's going to be okay is by doing the thing and proving it, it was actually okay. Because then the next time you're like, Oh, right. Remember when last time when this happened and like, and you can do this with really little kids. Like you felt really, really worried about going to that birthday party by yourself. And then what happened? Oh, I went and it was okay. Okay. Well, like yep. you're building that evidence that it is possible to push through it's that the muscle fear. memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So 
I am so curious if this has gotten easier for you over time to like let kids go and stretch their wings because you have like you have grown men or do the leaps just get bigger like and you're just as worried um so I will say that for me the little the little stretchings of the wings have never been particularly difficult like I've never been the mom like crying at kindergarten yeah sometimes I get a little misty but that's more because I'm so proud like it's such an it's like an emotional moment but not because I'm sad you know um I think it's getting harder because it's getting realer. So uh, the day, like two days after New Year's, I want to say it was like January 3rd, both Jacob and Isaac got on, well, one got on a bus and one got on a plane going in opposite directions. They now live in Wyoming and Philadelphia or uh, in Pennsylvania. I might've mentioned that before, but this literally all happened so quickly. Now they've both been far away from home before. They've both spent, Isaac lived away from home for like a year and a half or more. Um, and so is Jacob. He's lived in various places, but they've always come back. And I guess I kind of always knew before that they were going to come back. Like mm-hmm. it never felt very permanent. It was like, okay, they're off doing this thing, but I'm pretty sure they're going to come back and have a stint with me at some point. And then they kind of, they kind of were both coming and going. And I had a lot going on for those, the four or five years after Jacob graduated high school was right when I was like going through a divorce. Like there was just a lot happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there wasn't a lot of time to reflect on like where my two oldest ones were. They were my easiest at that time, like home or not, like they were kind of figuring life out. And I just had to, I, we had a relationship, but I didn't have to make sure they were getting anywhere on their own without my help or whatever, buying food, things like that. Um, now it feels more real. And I actually have a feeling that will going to college is going to be really hard on me. Like I just, I see it coming. He's going pretty like eight or nine hours away. No, I think a little further, 10 or 11 hours away, which isn't like the end of the world. People's kids go to college far away all the time. I have a feeling though, he's going to be one of those kids who's not probably going to want to come back. Like Mm -hmm. once college is done, I think he's going to move on with his adult life pretty quickly and pretty decisively. And it just feels like very real, especially now that my life is settled to a place where um, I'll notice the absence yeah. in a different way, yeah. you know, also I'll be down to two kids at the house, which is weird. It, there's yeah. just a lot of things lining up right now that I think are going to make it really hard. Yeah. Not because it's scary necessarily, but just, it'll be sad. Yeah. yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, let's kind of just wrap this up by, um, asking the question, like as moms, how do we sort out the difference between our desire to keep our kids safe and maybe a little bit like in our clutches forever mm-hmm. um, versus maybe that instinct that's telling you, eh, this isn't quite right. This isn't a great environment or my kid just really isn't ready for this yet. And maybe, maybe next year, Sarah, yeah. what do you think? Well, I recently quoted Martha Beck on a Glennon Doyle podcast and I'm going to do it again. It must've been a really impactful listen for me, but she was talking about this exact thing that like, we always hear like, listen to your gut, like go with your gut. And for anxious people, their gut is often telling them that like the world is super dangerous, which isn't very accurate or helpful. Right. Um, and that's true for both kids and adults. And so this is what she said that I thought was really helpful. She said, if your fear is telling you one thing and your longing is telling you another, like, or your heart or your gut or whatever, trust the longing. And that's like a very woo woo way to frame this, but that mom gut is real. 
And if your longing is for your kid to have this incredible experience that is creating some fear and anxiety in you, in them, in both of you, but you feel that longing for like for you, for Clara to have that sleepaway camp experience, for Isaac to see what the other side of the world is like. Listen to the longing. And it's not to say not to listen if you have real safety concerns or not to look into the safety concerns, of course, but that 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 gut feeling is real. And so I, I appreciated the the way that she put that, because sometimes when we hear like, listen to what your mom voice is telling you. You're like, I don't know. My mom voice is telling me to keep this kid home till they're 25. My mom voice is a liar. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and then the other thing, so basically my whole answer to this is relying on other smart people. But if you need a little kick in the rear to remind you how great it is for kids to experience discomfort and get outside their comfort zone, I cannot recommend highly enough books like Jessica Leahy's The Gift of Failure and Julie Lithcott Hames' How to Raise an Adult. And there are a couple others in that kind of in that genre. There's such good reminders about like the actual cognitive and psychological benefits for kids to doing hard things, to being uncomfortable, to failing, to having to breaking their arm on the last day of summer camp, whatever it is. And whenever I read those books, I actually find that I start actively looking for ways to like make my kids a little bit uncomfortable in their summer independence. Like, oh, this is going to, you know, this is going to force you to learn to make new friends. Great. So let's sign you up <laughs> instead of let's sign my kid up for the thing that feels safest and like they're most going to love. I actually try to sign my kids up for things that I think is going to be right on that edge of discomfort for them. Yeah. Um. I love that the different ways our different personalities play out here, because I think my tendency would be more to listen to the longing and ignore um, the little voice, the little voice telling me maybe this isn't the greatest. Like, mm -hmm. I just think I tend to be more of a rush forward, figure it out later, mm -hmm. like figure out the problems or deal with the problems later kind of person. So for me, again, it's like almost the flip side. When I mentioned earlier when I have that little bit of doubt, that's when I defer to what my kid really wants because yeah. I will be the one like, yeah, do it. Yes. Great. <laughs> like no fear. This is nothing to be afraid of, you know? And sometimes my kids have told me in no uncertain terms, like actually mom, this is something to be afraid of. And so I just listen to that and yeah. I still might override them. Like I still might say, okay, I get it. You have a legitimate um, timidness around this, but I still think that it's going to be really good for you to do this. So we're doing it. Yeah. And sometimes I've gone another path. And I think that like, you know, like adding in that third voice, like what does the child think? Um, sometimes it's like, sometimes their little voice is lying to them. So you mm -hmm. have to be the one to kind yes. of intercept or supersede it. And sometimes their little voice is telling the truth. It's like, everyone's got to kind of work together <laughs> to like get on the same page about that. Yeah. So yeah. 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 I agree. And it is time to wrap up. But like we have mentioned several times today, now is a great time to start thinking about what this summer is going to be like and how we can get our whole family ready for any big or little independence milestones that are coming at us this summer. Yeah. And we absolutely want to thank Be Aware Allergy for sponsoring this episode and for reminding us that preparing for bee stings, regardless of whether your kids have allergies that you know of, is a really important thing to have a plan for. You don't want your summer to be disrupted by an emergency, so talk to an allergist now and consider if venom immunotherapy could be a good fit. Yes, thank you to Be Aware for educating us all on the severity of bee sting allergies. And if you want to find a medical provider near you, 
Use Be Aware's Easy Allergist Finder. There's a button right at the top of the page at BeAwareAllergy.com and just check out their website, BeAwareAllergy.com. That's B-E-E, AwareAllergy.com for more resources on everything we talked about, including bee sting prevention, symptoms, treatment, and testing. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hey everyone, Sarah here. Megan and I would absolutely love it if you hit pause right now, right where you're listening, and left the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, that's one of the absolute biggest ways you can thank us. And it really takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just navigate to the Mom Hour's show listing. So not the episode you're listening to right now, but the kind of landing area for our show as a whole. And then scroll down to leave a rating or review. Thank you so much.